Today, we're talking with actor Alan Lewis Rickman, right here on No Rest for the Weekend. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, the show where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent film and series. I'm your host, Victoria Oliver. Alan Lewis Rickman has appeared in films such as A Serious Man, Fading Gigolo, and You Don't Know Jack, and series such as Boardwalk Empire and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Our producer, Jason Godby, had a chance to catch up with Alan and chat about his career and the business of acting. Uh, hello, this is Jason Godby for No Rest of the Weekend. With me in the Rabbit Hole studio today is Mr. Alan Lewis Rickman. Uh, welcome, Alan. Hey. Uh, so, uh, Alan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us your, your origin story. Uh, and I was sort bitten of by a radioactive spider when I was living with my Aunt May in Queens. <laughs> and No, you're, you're from Queens. or No, you're from... I'm from Far Rockaway, which is technically Queens, but only kind of, sort of. It's actually... Let's get boring right from the top, yeah. shall we? No, it's uh, Rockaway's a peninsula. It's attached to Nassau, but it's part of New York City, and it's assigned to Queens. And um, when when was the the moment uh, when you said uh, I want to be an actor? Tuesday. <laughs> I guess I sort of oozed into it. I, I I didn't originally want to become an actor. I was a film major in college, but I was uh, and I used to I used to act a lot in the shows in college, even though I wasn't. Uh, in the theater department, I would sit in the uh, in an editing room, cutting on a flatbed, cutting uh, sixteen millimeter film all day, and then hang out in the theater department, uh, edit, acting in shows, all night. I basically did everything except go to class and you know do the homework assignments. So, I was there for quite a while. I was the only undergrad in the history of Brooklyn College ever to be granted tenure. Um, <laughs> But uh, that and a bunch of us, uh, when we were getting out, formed a little off-off-Broadway company and did that for a few years. And I was working at a video store and then telling myself I was an actor. And gradually I realized, well, you know, if I'm going to do that, I should get a bit more serious about it. So it was kind of in my late 20s, which is I'm not going to tell you how long ago. Screw you. Um, anyhow, that, that I started to kind of become more serious and more professional. You define yourself as a character actor. Sure. Um, for 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 other the people folks, call me a lot of other things, some right. of which I don't care to repeat. But. For for the for the for for someone who's unfamiliar with that term, how would you define character actor? It just basically means anybody who's not a lead, anybody who's not a conventional leading man, leading woman, or as they used to say years ago, and these are becoming blended now, juvenile or ingenue, which was. Like if you watch uh, uh, older movies, uh, genre movies especially, or musicals, it was, those are the characters that my friend Todd Rudd used to describe as the guy nobody cares about or the girl nobody cares about, the the, the, the secondary love story characters. They're the characters also in uh, in Oklahoma. It's Curly and Laurie and et cetera. It's the young love story people. Uh, those are not character people. Uh, a leading man type, you know, uh, Harrison Ford in The Fugitive or something is not a character man. Uh, even though he's not 20 years old, but anything. But, but other Joe than Pantoliano that, would be a, always, a character actor. In always, that. sometimes even the character, even actors like that who are leads, and you'll find my frame of reference tends to be older. It's just I prefer it. But uh, uh, take someone like Edward G. Robinson, who was very, very, very much a character actor, but who pr practically always did leading roles. Right. In your illustrious career in this business, you've had the opportunity to work. Along in, in some big productions with big directors. Mm -hmm. um, you've worked with Barry Levinson. Uh, you acted opposite Al Pacino. 
Uh, you work with John Turturro um, as as I think an actor and uh, a director, with him as a director. Oh, I've I've worked for John Turturro. With, I've been directed by John Turturro three or four times now, three times, three different projects. Uh, I've never acted with John. Um, and you've also worked for the Coen Brothers. I've worked for the Coen Brothers. So, um, in these situations, um, when you come in now, you're. The parts that you're playing, you're, I'm, I'm assuming you're not there the entire shoot schedule. No, of course not. Um, so what do you do to prepare? And no, have... no, John and John, the first thing I did with John was a show on Broadway. So, of course, for that, I'm there the whole time. Right, right. Uh, but, like, when you're doing something like uh, the Dr. Kevorkian uh, movie that mm -hmm. you did with Al Pacino, mm -hmm. uh, where you're only probably on, what, two, three days or something like that? Um, three, four days, something like that. How do you prepare and how are you, like... Because you were in a scene where you're, in, you're literally being uh, cross-examined by Al Pacino, mm -hmm. how do you do that w w and not be nervous, or how do you how do you not how are you not intimidated by that situation? Number one, I do this for a living, so I'm not intimidated or nervous about it. Uh, number two, <clears throat> it's interesting you use the word prepare. Uh, a lot of times, if you're doing something that's sort of a basic generic thing. Uh, I did a Law & Order episode where I had a couple of scenes where I was a hotel manager. Well, you don't have to do a ton of work to be myself as a hotel manager. That doesn't require an awful lot of preparation. You want to basically know what the environment is, what the things are that you need to be dealing with, but beyond, you know, it's not a lot. But here, in the case of You Don't Know Jack, which was the, the Kevorkian story with Pacino, um, the character I played was a real-life character, and the folks at the production company were very, very helpful, and they got me a lot of footage of the guy. So I watched it endlessly and uh, took a sound off it and put it on my iPod and listened to it over and over again so I could do... It doesn't have to be an absolutely perfect impression of the person, but you want to get their basic cadence and timbre. You want to be in the ballpark. So that requires some very specific preparation in the way that something that's sort of simpler and more generic doesn't. Just to clarify, when you did that role, specifically You Don't Know Jack, you were already an experienced actor. Oh, sure. You had already been doing this for years. Oh, sure, of course. You know, um, had that been your first day on a set, um, or, you know, if you were 22 when you did that, or, I mean, I, I can imagine that that might be a, a different, and I don't, I don't want to harp on that too no, no, much. No, 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 that's, that's a reasonable question. And yeah. in my particular case, um, because I had come from a film background, I'm used to being on a set, I'm used to cameras, I'm used to things, uh, I'm used to just the basic, mm. uh, 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 what are the word, paraphernalia of filmmaking and so forth, or the, what it feels like. So I kind of eased my way into it. And if somebody was, if somebody is 22 years old and is looking to uh, 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 get find a way of not being intimidated when you know it's it's high stakes do some student films get used to do just even though the experience will be a vastly different one than doing a big production with a big union crew etc do some student movies how has it changed since you started as a business um, that's hard to say the things that have changed mostly are kind of external things for example there was obviously no such thing as self-tape auditions when I started, because talkies hadn't come in yet, you know, it's quite a while ago. Uh, but for no, those of you listening to this, Alan, Alan is not that old. <laughs> uh, for for those for those of you not I watching, live on a diet of ton of leaves, yes, and he, if you know what, if you get that reference, then you're already. Alan Al is not 102 years old. Anyway, <laughs> you you were saying. Anyhow, uh, so but there was no. It's the it was the pre-video age. There was videotape, you know, VHS, but not everybody had a VHS camera back. 
then. That was kind of a pricey object back in the day. Um, so there was no such thing as self-tape audition. So that's something that's uh, that's that's changed now. Uh, and you know, there was no such thing as internet submission. So I hadn't thought about that. But there's a, a big factor. I mean, lots of times. I email people about a project that I might be interested in auditioning for, or uh, very often there'll be a call for submissions that you'll send in a headshot and resume online instead of having to go out. I used to go, and it's not all that many years ago, I would go, sometimes Yelena and I would go together, that's my wife, we would go to the main post office, we live in Midtown, and the main post office, the one across from Penn Station, it used to be 24 hours, and I would go there and do a big mailing of a whole bunch of things, sometimes at 2 or 3 in the morning, so it would get there, you know, whenever I, when I had the time to deal with it. I remember doing that myself, stapling yeah. uh, stapling your resume to the yeah, back sure. of the headshot, sure, sure, sure. putting it in the big 8x10 envelope. Sure, sure, sure. And then uh, to, give it, to give yourself a little extra whatever. So we would get there a day earlier. You'd go to the main post office mm -hmm. at 1 o'clock in the morning even or whatever it was. Uh, so that's certainly something that's that's changed. If you had your druthers, like, talking about self-tape auditions. Easier, I'll, I'll, another thing that's easier, forgive me for interrupting, uh, it's easier to do research uh, because if you... You know, want to know who's directing a show that's coming up in a theater in Okefenokee, whatever it is, da, 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 you can find it out online in a way that you never could have, you know, right. taken eight tons of research years ago. In terms of, like, uh, digital submissions, and especially, especially self-taping, mm -hmm. would you rather self-tape and be able to give yourself uh, five, ten takes to get it right and then send it in, or do you want to be in the room? I'd rather be in the room. I don't mind self-taping and what you just mentioned is the one and very obvious advantage which is you can do multiple takes on the other hand number one we live in a small apartment so setting up uh, uh, the space is precious so setting up and clearing things away and getting the camera and, blah, 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 and all that and we don't have a great setup we don't have a first-rate tripod and all that and all that so set and getting and sound light it's it's a bit of a nuisance so we can get a so we can set everything up so we get a decent image that's number one. Number two, there is something about being in the room with the other people. Now, the downside to that, of course, is when you are going in for an audition with a casting director, and the casting director will have a reader, her assistant, or somebody they will bring in just for the day, or whatever it is, and the reader can be great, or the reader can be mediocre, uh, but the reader will pretty much never be the exactly what you heard in your head when you prepared. So that's part of related to the acting as listening thing and responding to what you have in the moment. Uh, on the other hand, the other side to that same thing is every so you will find moments that you think, ah, oh, this is a nice choice for this moment, and something the the reader may not be enabling the acting choice that you want to make. So, which is if you're doing a self tape, of course. You can give precisely, you're directing yourself, basically. You can give the precise the form, forms you want to, which you can't do if you're going in. With those situations, for the most part, are you given, like when you go into a casting director, you, I mean, most of the time it's like your agent submits you. Mm -hmm. If they want to hear you read, you go and you meet with a casting director. Mm -hmm. um, That's a preliminary audition, and the second will, of course, be for the director or producer whatever. And But for the most part, you're not going in and uh, doing a monologue. You're given sides, and then you're somebody's the reading The only place you. you do monologues is when you're doing a generic theater auditions, usually EPAs and stuff like that. A lot of people don't do them. I still do EPAs. I like them. Um, they, those have gotten much, much easier uh, to do nowadays than they were years ago. That's another change. There is far less theatricality and I, I mean, acting get, has gotten kind of very small, and the people who can instinctively overcome 
that and can be stage actors now in, stage, in a big theater, um, they're, they're kind of coming fully formed. They're kind of coming to it already able to do that. Whereas years ago, it was I guess you were sort of trained to be a stage actor and then had to make yourself smaller for film. Let me ask you, recently um, you were in, in the Amazon series uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm -hmm. uh, which I caught some of and I thought it was great. I thought it was really well done. Uh, the lead in it is fantastic. Isn't she great? I thought she's she was doll. just... Um, Rachel's just wonderful. And she, she got the... She got the... Uh, did she get the Emmy? I think so. I yeah. I know she the the show is already winning awards and it's in its yeah. first season. So you had the opportunity to again play another real guy, yeah, um, uh, Red Skelton, mm -hmm. which um, again for uh, a lot of the younger mem members of our audience probably going to who the hell is Red Skelton? Sure. But um, we want to get back to that topic later. How did how did um, how did that come to be? How did you how did you want? My agent submitted me. I, I went in. I did some homework. Now, I grew up watching Red Skelton on television when I was a little kid. Uh, Red Skelton was a comedian uh, who was a, sort of a clown. He had a background in all sorts of a variety of performance. He did music. I did. He did medicine show stuff. Uh, I believe he started out with, which you know, way ancient history, and clowning and da da da. And he did a lot of very broad clowning type stuff on his show. And my father. Um, his was an immigrant, and his English was never fantastic. But Skelton, there was no language barrier, and we used to watch Red Skelton every week in our house. So I grew up watching Skelton. So you you'd effectively done your research. No, I had know. to go. No, I hadn't because <laughs> I mean I I knew Skelton. It wasn't just some magic. You actually had to go and research this oh, guy. Oh, you bet, because they very much wanted somebody. This was Skelton for the show. Uh, for Mrs. Maisel, uh, this was Skelton doing a stand-up set at the Copacabana, which was a nightclub. When you'll have to explain what that is to the younger <laughs> audience members, too. Start Googling now, children. <laughs> start start, start um, Googling now, and you'll find out who all of these people what, are. And what nightclubs were, et cetera. Right. The Cotton uh, Club and uh, Copacabana, yeah. places like that. Oh, uh, and the production on that. Oh, my God. It's so it's just a gorgeous job. Amazon has and money. He, uh, yeah, and they and they're not afraid to spend it. Yeah, they really they, did a beautiful, view, I, beautifully I, produced. But to get back to the, the answer, answer your question, yes. Uh, so with Skelton, they were looking for somebody. I don't look particularly like Red Skelton. I mean, Skelton, of course, didn't have a mustache, which I had to shave for the show. And Red Skelton, you may be shocked to discover, had red hair, <laughs> which, if you're observant, you may real may be able to notice. I don't. Uh, so they there was a, they got a wig, a, a, a terrific wig for me, and they did a great makeup job. But they wanted somebody who could do his timber and his cadence and his rhythms and stuff like that. So I went to YouTube, and uh, you can find Red used to, uh, used to start his uh, variety show with a stand-up set, a set of jokes every week, and I would. Uh, I, I took some of the. I downloaded some of those. Took off the sound, put it on my iPod, and listened to it over and over and over again, so that I could get his voice in my mind. I've done that before, also with other things. I did once, many years ago. I had a. a, a this is one of the most fun jobs. I did a Casablanca party, which was an interactive party, sort of like Tony and Tina's wedding, etc. Although this was a few years before Tony and Tina even started, uh, where this was a law firm had had uh, was was the client, and this. Uh, this little agency that I worked for set it up where they would have actors playing 
characters from Casablanca, and the restaurant was Rick's Cafe that night, and uh, the audience, you know, the, the, the folks who were the, were the law firm's party, were just people who happened to be in the club that night, and you would interact with them as though, you know, in character. So I had to do Sidney Greenstreet. That was the... <gasps> Uh, that was the character. I was going to ask you who you played. Yeah. So uh, so I, I listened to, uh, of course, I'd seen City Green Street in a bunch of movies and Casablanca and Maltese Falcon, et cetera, et cetera. But I went and watched them over and over again on videotape and, you know, got his uh, his voice. I would imagine that's a, you know, that's a, a, a whole different challenge at playing as opposed to creating a character from scratch, you know, where, sure. where you have just the page and you... you develop absolutely, the character absolutely um is it easier to have the reference material and learn uh, a real person or is it i've never done it in in a way where it was a really really extended thing in other words i've never done something that would be the equivalent of a biopic like right. you know like uh, what like uh, uh, like rod steiger did wc fields uh, and who steiger was brilliant actor but he'd always did heavy heavy character work uh, even even he's playing not really real life, real life characters. He did all the externals, the sound and the, the all that, the carriage, um, were distinct in everything he ever did. And he supposedly would walk around through the whole shoot, staying in character. When he did W. C. Fields and me, he was W. C. Fields for two months or whatever it was of shooting, and he had several nervous breakdowns. Yeah, <laughs> Jim Carrey just did the same thing when he when he played Andy Kaufman. There's there a documentary go. about it. Did he uh, did he stay as Andy Kaufman? He stayed or? Andy Kaufman through the whole thing wow. to the point where. He was fine, but everybody else was driven crazy. <laughs> well, uh, Andy Kaufman drove everybody crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a great documentary. Um, Pacino uh, did that when we did. You don't know Jack Pacino spent a lot of time with Kevorkian. Uh, but he the, he stayed in character. But he as stayed Kevorkian. in character and improvised in as Kevorkian, with me and other people in the courtroom and yada yada while he was doing it. Now, the first shoot, uh, the first uh, I was at. On the, the first day I, I had on that movie, uh, we shot another scene, and there were there the downtime between setups was much longer, and there were a lot of extras and da da da. And he did not stay in character between there. He would go outside, and uh, instead of going off to a trailer or something, uh, Pacino, very nice guy, and all these extras and those people were coming up to him saying how much they admired him, asking for his autograph, da da. Nice as could be. And John Goodman, who was all in the same scene, same thing. What advice would you give? Um, to anyone starting out, besides don't start out. <laughs> <laughs> what would I recommend? Hard narcotics. Um, <laughs> heavy drinking. Heavy drinking. Uh, all those mainline, mainline, uh, mainline. Um, he's kidding, folks. He's kidding. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, I do have a couple of things I would recommend. First thing um, I would recommend, how to get this into two minutes is not going to be easy. Um, number one, Ask yourself what your superpower is. There are an awful lot of people out there uh, doing this. There are an awful lot of people out there chasing after the same thing. What makes you unique? What makes you different? Uh, and sell that. Um, focus on that. For example, you know, in my case, I have you know, I, I tend to do comedies. So I work on I, that's what I sell. I sell myself as a comic character actor. I have uh, certain language skills, and I sell those, and I, I market myself as those. If you think you can do, you, you go for everything all the time. Da, 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 no, no, no. You need to think branding like they do with products that are put onto market. You need to say what is your brand? What are you selling? What is the association that you want that the people should have with Chevrolet or uh -huh. with Coca-Cola or whatever it is? So it's it's basically it's like it's better to be uh, a specialist rather than a general very practitioner. Very much so. Very much so. Very much so. So that's that's step one. Uh, I would say number two, 
Step two, uh, work as hard as you can to get those credits uh, th that are recognizable credits. You'll, you'll do everything for the experience. You'll do small films, student films, off-off-Broadway shows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and those are great because the best way to learn is by doing. Much better than anything you'll ever get in a class is by actually doing something, especially in front of a live audience, but also work in front of a camera. But... Uh, uh, if you can write those casting directors, do whatever you have to do to get that one line bit on the whatever television show it is or whatever major thing it is like that, when you get those credits on the resume, it gives your resume a credibility that you don't have otherwise so that when you cr cross the casting director's desk and they see you've been on four major series, even if it was one line bits, um, that doesn't make a difference, whether it's one line or four scenes. Nobody remembers whether, if it's episodic television, whether your part on that show was one line of four scenes. But they can see on the resume, because they don't know the episode by heart. It doesn't live there forever. But they can see on your resume that you were on such and such, and it puts you in a different category. Every job you should think about is leading to the next job. So you want to build up those credits. Be aggressive at chasing after work uh, uh, when do not put it off. Do not put it off. Do not make the one mistake that I made, the biggest mistake I made. Um, the resume I have now, I wish I'd had 20 years ago. And I could have had it 20 years ago if I had been more aggressive when I was younger. Because it would make getting the next job now easier for me. Uh, I would also say diversify. Make your, do create your own work to the greatest extent possible. The trick with that is don't create work. When I say create your own work, don't think of it as looking at you, as showing off you. It's like, look at me, look at me. Let me show you my infinite wonderfulness. Screw that. If you have something that you want to do for an audience, that you believe, you know, there's an audience for this out there. There's an audience for this kind of thing, a specialty audience of some kind, this, that, the other. Um, and you can create something that will feed into that audience. That's a great idea. There are probably six or seven other things I could think of along the same lines. Well, we'll have to. We'll definitely have to have you back sometime, okay. and we'll do a part two. Um, but Alan, thank you so much for coming. Uh, this is great stuff. Uh, you know, this this program is geared toward people who are, you know, either DIY filmmakers, content creators, young actors, people who are looking for a way in, uh, and that's really you know what we're here for. And I think it's great for them to, to hear somebody like you, uh, who's managed to stand the test of time and and have a, a real career. Um, and, you know, like everybody thinks when you're an actor and you have a career, you're going to be Tom Cruise or Denzel Washington or something. But the majority of actors aren't. And the thing is to be a working actor. Rita Moreno, I heard interviewed years ago. And this is a woman with a legendary, spectacular career. And she still chases after work. Yeah. Yeah. And she uh, and she's fabulous because of it. Because, you know. Oh, she's great. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for coming. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Thanks. As always, thank you for taking a trip down the rabbit hole with us. I'd like to thank our guest, Alan Lewis Rickman. If you'd like to see more from No Rest for the Weekend, check out our website, btrp.nyc slash podcast, or check us out on social media. Let us know if there's any topics you'd like to see covered in upcoming episodes. On behalf of Jason Godby and myself, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>